you know what it is? It's God's grace sometimes. If someone gives their life to Christ, he's showing you his presence. And then it's not that God's leaving you alone. Your faith has to mature. And sometimes you then start praying for your dying hamster and it dies. It doesn't get resurrected again. Or you're praying for that work situation. You go for a tough time. It doesn't, doesn't quite work out the way you thought. Actually, what's happening is it's God refining and proving your faith. You know, there are, there are times when I've cried out to God, really needing his presence, like in a tough situation. I've felt nothing. And at that point, it's almost like God saying to me, well, all you've got actually is, is what you believe to be true, what you know to be true. And through the disciplines, you stick close to Jesus. That's what happens as God starts to mature your faith. I mean, if you think about it, Moses had like, I think he had one burning bush moment, <laughs> 40 years in Midian. 40 years with a bunch of whinging people. And he had the odd sign. You know, he had some miracles along the way, but mostly to get him out of really tough times. That's why it's so important for us to be a word-based church, rooted in God's word. Get those disciplines in. Don't miss it. I know we like a stuck record, but honestly, it will change the game. The more you soak up God's word, the more it becomes part of you. The more you keep meeting together, the more we keep praying. Our prayer meetings are so important. Gathering on Sundays are so important. I mean, obviously, I'd think we don't want everyone to sort of miss out on life as well. But being in Christian community is such a key thing for us. It'll keep us rooted. That's not the sermon. I just feel it's really important. We're looking uh, into our epic Matthew series, which we... Uh, how long ago did we start this? <laughs> like, when we started the church, almost. So we're up to chapter 21 now. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was me talking about the, the fig tree withering. Um, Matthew, as we've reminded us a couple of times, was written for the uh, Jewish community. Um, so it has lots of symbolism in, in there that's important for uh, the people of Israel. And, and so at the start of chapter 21, he turns a temple over. He sort of condemns the, the, uh, the profiteering coming out of the temple. And then he makes the fig tree wither, uh, which a lot of people are very confused by. But actually, it's, it was because the fig tree wasn't bearing, it was full of leaves but no fruit. So it had, it's, remember if you, if you didn't hear the sermon, look back at it on YouTube. But it had all the appearance of being fruitful but wasn't because it, it was leafy, not fruity, as we said. And that's quite important because churches can have all the appearance of being fruitful but actually aren't. They, they have all the trappings but they don't have any of the fruit. So we looked at that. So there was sort of, he looked at the, the wholesale worship of the temple. Then he looked at the fruitfulness of the nation which that's what it's a symbol for, or we applied it to the church. Now, in this bit, it's a story that really applies to the individual. Um, let me say this. I, I came to Christ in like a Damascus Road moment. You know, it was, it was instant. I, I mean, after six months of taking the mick out of the church, because uh, you know, many of you know I only went because I fancy Karen. Um, which is a cosmic ambush. Um, uh, and I was taking a mick, and then someone preached a gospel, and I gave my life to Christ. And I, uh, you've heard me say it before, it was like stepping out of a black and white picture into a full color picture, and that feeling has never left me. Uh, even now, I mean, not, not every day, not every moment, but even now, sometimes I can just look out my window at the garden and just think, wow, it's amazing. You know, sometimes, you know, I, I can hear a little baby cry, and I think life's amazing. No, I mean it. Like, I love it. You know, sometimes in my highest moments, like driving across the Peak District, I'm like, it's amazing. Or through some scummy part of some really poor inner city and I look at people and I think, that's amazing because the veil came off my eyes. 
And that, that happened to me. And that demands a response. You know, often people who come to Christ in an instant, like that, or are massively forgiven something and, and realise forgiveness, it just trigger, it, it triggers a response. You can't do anything but serve the Lord. That's what happened to me. Now, you can creep into the Christian life. Like Karen, my wife, she, she was raised in a, a household that went to a brethren assembly, and uh, apart from her dad. But her mum was so diligent at taking her to all the stuff and learnt the Bible and all the, the kids' stories and stuff. She, she crept into faith. Um, and it took time for her to realise uh, what her calling was and what she was passionate about because it was just so part of her life. Those of us that come instantaneously into the kingdom often become evangelists. That's interesting, isn't it? Because you've had that sudden step. Some people do become evangelists who sort of a journey into faith over a long period of time, but you often find other skills and gifts are unlocked. You often find very prophetic people come through that way, or intercessors come through that way, or pastoral people come through that way. It's just very, very interesting. But either way, it demands a response. When you know that Christ is your saviour, it, it has to trigger something, I believe. Like it, be, it is such a massive thing to be rescued. It's hard for us to keep remembering that when you live in such a comfortable Western society. But we are safe from hell, I believe. And not only that, but we are being given fullness of life. And that does demand a response. Now, this parable that I'm about to read kind of speaks into this. Now, let me say before we read this, I 100% I, I believe there is nothing we can do to earn our salvation to coin the phrase it is all of god it is all of him it is all of the cross we cannot earn it we, we can't we can't bribe god for salvation we can't do works that earn it or keep it you know there are some religions that say you have to do x y and z in order to earn or keep your salvation we don't believe that uh, christ accepts you however you are and one of the most important things for me is to create a church where Christ accepts you no matter who you are, what you've gone through or what you will go through. There will always be a welcome here at our church. We might want to help you navigate some stuff because we want to get you to the, the point of your highest point you can be in your walk with Jesus and ultra close to him. But there is full acceptance and there is forgiveness for everybody and you can't earn that. It's all of God. Now the reason I say that is when you read the parable you might hear something different. What I'm saying is there is a response that needs to come that shows that you've really encountered Christ, I believe, but you can't earn it. Let me read this. This is Matthew 21, verse 28. This is Jesus talking. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in a vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later... He changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. He called his dad, sir. I quite like that, Emily. We might have some of that when we get back home this afternoon. It's in the word. I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? I love it when Jesus did this. Just imagine a disciple standing there going, because, oh, mm. you know, I think Jesus was a little bit nerve-wracking because he's obviously, like, the first one who didn't want to do it and then did do it. But you can imagine everyone's going, he's trying to trick us again. <laughs> he's trying to trick us. Which one did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. 
Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. That is not, you, you'd expect Jesus to say, yeah, top points, you got it right. But he's always got that little extra little bit to push on with, isn't he? I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you didn't repent and believe him. Well, let me say this before we go any further. When we're talking about faith demands a response. Let me tell you why I do this. Why do I lead a church? Why do I plant a church? Why do I spend my time evangelizing? Why do I dash around the country all over the place this week, actually, from, I think, London to Dundee and Edinburgh, preaching the gospel? Why? Actually, because Jesus loves me. And that's it. It's not for heavenly brownie points. I'm not doing it for kudos. I'm not as performance-driven as some of you might think. I do it because Jesus loves me. Uh, he rescued me, and I felt it on the 22nd of April, 1990. I knew he'd rescued me. I suddenly realised I, I was facing what Andy's going to preach on, out of darkness, and he brought me into the light. And I could, do you know, even on the half-hour drive home from the church, it was like I could feel every cell in my body changing. I could, I could feel myself being born again. I remember driving home weeping. I remember walking down the road with a girl called Sarah Halton out of Sixth Form College on the Monday, the next day, after school. And she said to me, what's happened to you? This is the day after, hours after. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you used to be so out for number one. She said, but you, you're talking about other people today. How arrogant and horrible must I have been? Noticed in a day that I was different. I do this because Jesus loves me. And because he loves me, I serve him. And then you read this passage. And at first, you, you, my mind went through this process of, oh, you know, so many Christians, maybe so many Christians are actually like, like the second son. That's what I started thinking. Maybe we're like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, uh, thanks for saving me. I'll, I'll follow you. And then and he says, will you go and work in my vineyard or do this thing for me? We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll go and do that. But actually, we don't. We were just talking uh, in a prayer meeting, a nice time of prayer before church. And um, Chris was just sharing some thoughts about how everyone was all in to, to build a temple. Um, and I just happened to say, it was just a, you know, it's a well-worn story of how a cruise ship is like, I know some of you will like a cruise. A cruise ship is like 70% passengers, 30% crew. But a warship, a warship is 100% crew. No man or woman is wasted on a warship because it's a ship at war. And the aim for a church is that we have no passengers. We may have some wounded. We may need people who need a rest. 
actually, we're at war with an enemy who wants to destroy us. So I started to look at the passage that way and, and started to think, oh, maybe, maybe the Lord wants to rebuke us because we're not serving enough because we said we would serve him, then, and, but we're not. Or not in, in, there's not enough happening, which is actually not true. But that's how you could read the passage. And then I actually, I actually had a bout of vertigo yesterday, which I've still slightly caught. I'm still slightly woozy which is entertaining for me right now, because it feels like I'm actually on a boat. Um, but I was sitting on my, sitting on my toe, it's this horrible thing, I had like this blocked ear, and I, was, I won't go into details, but it was pretty horrible. Uh, everything was moving around. And so I was sitting at my desk, just trying to inquire of the Lord. I actually tried to help Richard move some furniture, make him wobble all over the place where he carrying some sofas. And I was sitting on my table with the room slightly moving around me, and inquiring of the Lord, and I heard the Lord whisper to me. As I looked at this passage, I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me and say, actually, son, the reason the church isn't mobilized enough is because the message from the church has been wrong. So I thought, oh, that's not pleasant for a church leader to hear. Maybe there's something wrong with the way we are seeking to mobilize people. Now, let me explain it like this. Years ago... When I first went to church in the 1990s, the church that I went to had a map on the wall. And around the map were people's photos. And, and against the people's photos were bits of knitting wool. And a knitting wool was tacked into the photo, stretching out to a country with another tack in it. So it'd be like Jackie Taylor's photo with a bit of red wall going to Kenya. Then there'd be someone else's photo, Chris, going to Pakistan. And then there'd be someone else's photo, Neville's photo going to Las Vegas, obviously. And these were the missionaries. They were the missionaries. And it was a perpetual minder, reminder to all of us that some people in the church were special, bearing special fruit, because they were on mission. That was the Brethren Church in Horn Church. It had photos with knitting wool. If you went to Kensington, they had a push-button one with LED lights that flashed and lit up. We don't have that anymore. We have Google and websites and apps that show where our missionaries are. We don't. We don't because we don't have a building that we have got people out there on mission. Like Josh Boston at the moment, been out in Africa doing stuff and various other people that we have contacts with and some of my friends. I think it's great that we pray for those out on mission. And they are super fruitful and they have a calling and there are sacrifices. But what it's done is slightly undermine the fact that you are all on mission. Let me explain. When we lived in Bath, or I lived just outside Bath, I say with an R and an F, because I'm from Essex. When we lived outside Bath, because Bath is too expensive, so we lived in Radstock, which was known as the armpit of Bath. 
when we lived in, we used to, Karen say, where do we live? And I'd say, Bath. She'd go, no, it's Radstock. I'd go, oh, When we lived there, we were investigating what church to go to. I'd just been senior pastor of a Baptist church, and now I was leading CVM, Christian Vision for Men, in the early days of its relaunch. We walked into this church, and this guy says to me, what do you do? Nice to meet you. Is this your first time here? I said, yes, it is. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm like, um, I'm a, sp- a Christian speaker, charity leader. He said, what charity is it? I said, it's called Christian Vision for Men. It wasn't very well known at the time, like it's could be better known now. And, uh, and he said, oh, what's that? And I said, well, we tell men about Jesus. He said, oh, that's very important. I said, thank you. He said, that's, that's, that sounds amazing. He said, how does it work? I told him, well, I'm creating this network of groups and, you know, blah, blah. We didn't have the gathering then. I said, we've got a, a conference in a hotel and we produce all these resources. He said, wow. He said, that's great. And I said, what do you do? He said, I'm a project manager. So it's a bit boring. I said, what sort of projects are you doing? He said, oh, big electrical projects type things. I said, oh, right. He said, yeah. I said, well, that's important work. He went, nah, it's not like the kingdom work. I went, okay. The next week, we went back to the church, and this guy collared me at the door again. He said, we've just produced the prayer notice sheet, and I checked out your website, and I've got you in. He said, I've got you in for the end of September. We're all going to be praying for you as a church. I said, that's amazing. He said, well, you've got a lot of responsibilities. He said, it's a big thing, preaching the gospel. And he said, he said you got any staff? And I said, yeah, about, there's about six staff. And he said, yeah, it's a big responsibility, blah, 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 blah. So I said to him again, I said, so what sort of work are you involved in? Well, how does it work? He said, well, I've got about 100 people on this project, and they've got this turbine thing we're doing, and this, that, and the other. I said, when have you ever been on the prayer bulletin? He said, oh, no, I wouldn't be on the prayer bulletin. I was embarrassed. Why, why, why is he not on the prayer bulletin? I've got a mate called Norman. Norman was a business manager for a local NatWest branch of NatWest. <laughs> and Norman was basically a qualified finance planning accountant type person. He never got prayed for in his church until he worked for FIBA Radio. And suddenly, he was invited to speak to the women's midweek Bible study and appeared on the prayer notice calendar thing. Norman, all his work in life, dealing with people in the bank, never got prayed for by the church. When he started to work for FIBA Radio, which happened to be based in the Seychelles, can't believe he struggled to pray about whether it was right or not, ended up being on the prayer bulletin. Why is it you can be an accountant in Kettering and never get prayed for in the church and then become an accountant doing the same work in an office in Kenya, but because it's for a Christian mission agency, get prayed for? Something needs recalibrating. Badly. I felt an unction from the Lord on it. For our church. And I need to develop this thought with you. Do you hear what I'm saying? What's happening is this. We are thinking that the important Christian work is stuff around ministry, preachers. The most important jobs are 
in the church that helps Sundays happen. Like, I met one guy who had a degree from Harvard. Not this is a big thing. And also another degree from Cambridge. And when I, and, and when I got to know him, I said to him, what's your role in the church? And do you know what it was? This is quite exciting. I do the sound desk. Nothing wrong with doing the sound desk. But then I started thinking, what else could he do? So I said, what's your job? He said, I'm FD of a, of a big insurance group. When I found out what it was, it was the biggest insurance group in the world. And we've got him running the sound desk. Now, that's okay. Someone, I mean, you're a genius running the sound desk. But you've got engineering type qualifications that I don't understand. That makes you a genius. Right? And nothing wrong with that. But surely, surely, a creative church could find other ways to deploy those skills. Do you see what I'm driving at? So what happens is this. Sometimes we come into church and we receive Jesus and we want to be fruitful. But a church has somehow accidentally numbed and blunted it. For instance, who do we pray for in church? We pray for pastors, leaders, evangelists, or people in the caring professions. Nothing wrong with that. We pray for, like, churches have NHS Sunday, and so we should. We have some amazing medics in this church and people serving hugely sacrificially, I think, in the NHS, and we should be praying for them. But why aren't we praying for van drivers? Why aren't we praying for land surveyors? Why aren't we praying for accountants or planning inspectors or engineers or street cleaners? And why aren't we commissioning them? And why aren't we unleashing them for the kingdom? It's a question the church has to face. Because we read this passage and I think... I'm turning it on his head a bit. There are some people who say, I will. I will serve. But maybe they can't find a way to serve because we've not helped people be deployed. See, here's the thing. What if, what if some young person gets a new apprenticeship in Chesterfield Bus Depot as a new apprentice mechanic? At 18 years old, first job. Do you know what happens in our church? To my shame, it goes unnoticed from the front. I think it goes unnoticed from the front in most churches. But what we should be doing is this. Let's have a hypothetical new apprentice bus mechanic from Chesterfield called Bob. And he's 18. <laughs> Don't have 18 years called Bob anymore, do we? Bring it back, I say. So Bob has got his new job. Do you know what we should be doing? We should be getting Bob down the front. We should be saying, Bob, this is your new job. But it's not just a job. It's your calling, mate. We're ordaining you as an evangelist to the bus depot in Chesterfield. Be there for Jesus. You're not, be the best mechanic you can be for Jesus. Be amazing for Jesus. Let your light shine for Jesus. Do your job. But we're ordaining you to be God's man in the bus depot in Chesterfield. How's he going to feel? 
How's he going to feel? He's going to feel great. He's there for Jesus. Suddenly he's got kingdom purpose beyond his activity. And then what we should be doing is passing out and falling over the side of the chairs. Then what we should be doing is in a month's time, getting them forwards and hearing the stories about how Jesus is using him. His, his whole career will be orientated differently from that moment. And he'll find his way to serve. Are you hearing what I'm trying to say? Because I feel like God wants to deploy people at a, a totally new level in this church. I really, really do. I, I feel like there are a whole bunch of people who are being held back and don't realise that actually Jesus has got you in a very special place. I think there are some people in that category and I think there are other people who are yet to find their purpose and their calling, which I'll come on to in just a little moment. But let me say this to you. If you are out in the workplace, I so want you to know if you're there as a Christian, as someone who follows Jesus, you are not just there to earn a crust. You are not just putting bread on the table. God has placed you there for such a time as this. And we don't want you robbing church time, going around at work time, going around evangelizing everyone when you should be doing the job. But find your way to make it work. I remember talking to someone who was a middle manager at Virgin Mobile. And he said, I'm desperately trying to find my way that I can live for Jesus at Virgin Mobile. And I said, how are you doing that? He said, I'm helping people to become the best that they can be and I go above and beyond in releasing people and steering people through and mentoring people into promotion. And when people say to me, why are you more caring or investing more time than anyone else? I tell them why. Because I believe in a God of heaven who unlocks amazing potential in people and has a plan and purpose for everyone's life. And I want to see that fulfilled. I thought, that is amazing. He's found a way to make that work. There'll be teachers among you. looking at Joe, there'll be like kids in your class I firmly believe this. You'll be looking at it and thinking that there is potential there that their families, I believe it's a word actually, like their families are not in such chaotic state, they're never going to help them release their potential. But you'll be there in the name of Jesus and spot it. And you'll, you'll see him release, like just going the extra mile. I believe that sort of thing's going to happen if we can be there in the name of Jesus. There'll be work colleagues just sitting alongside that have never heard the gospel, and you still not explained it. You still not let it rip that you're there for Jesus. And I think if you do that, you're going to see some amazing things turn around. There'll be ethical decisions to make that may cost you a promotion. Well, let it cost you promotion. Be there for Jesus, because Jesus is it. That's how, that may be your way of bearing fruit. I, I firmly believe it. But there's something else. I, I really believe as well, as I prayed about this, that there'll be some people who said, yes, I'll go and do this. And then, for whatever reason, God gave you a vision or something that you really wanted to do for him, and it's not happening. And that could have been something that was said a long time ago to you. Or something quite recent. And... And you kind of feel like God might have put that vision on the shelf or even you on the shelf. And so you read that passage, you know, and you're somebody who said yes and then it didn't happen. That may have been the church's fault, not necessarily this church. Or it may have been that you got a knock. Or it may be something just numbed and blunted your confidence. 
I really felt the Lord say to me while I was preparing for this morning that actually what he wants for this church is people to be released into all kinds of astonishing directions. When I was leading Billericay Baptist Church, we had people that took up astonishing projects. There's one guy called Stephen who found this oppressed people group called the Karen people. And he totally created this ministry to release oppressed people group. I mean, it was amazing. He was an ordinary bloke. He was um, a company secretary for a small company and then came across this group of people on the Burmese border who are displaced. They're called the Karen people. And he started a whole ministry from his living room that released loads of people from oppression in our church in Billericay. There are other people who founded a charity in nothing to do with the church. They came out of our church and founded a charity to give people who had no work skills, work skills and computer literacy skills so they could get jobs and then started to work in trying to get people placed into employment out of our church. And we started to see all this stuff happening in the community. I think we're going to start seeing that happen here. I want us to be the most entrepreneurial church on the planet. If you've got an idea, it may not have to come out of the church. Like, it may not have to be a Redeemer King thing. It, it, it could be just an idea that you want to see birthed. I, I think my responsibility is to get behind you and make it happen. If it's God that's spoken it, we need to see stuff released all over this town or we ain't going to reach it. I mean, when Andy announced earlier that suddenly we're going to be doing events every other week in Coffee Street, every other month, that's useless. <laughs> every other month in Coffee Street. Do you know what we should be doing? We, to use an imperative, should be going, that's amazing! Because it's amazing! Thank you, Colin! That's just an event every other month. That is, soak it up, Coffee Street, opening their doors to Redeemer King Church for a Christian event. Arguably, the best coffee shop in Chesterfield. Stop being British and be kingdom excited. Not like American high fives. That would be odd. We're not high-fiving church. But we can be excited about it. But what if that wasn't Andy Kind professional comedian evangelist getting to play there? What if? What if? What if some of you, who never feel that God would use you, but always had this little bit of potential, suddenly started to dream that maybe it could happen, and then you came and saw us, and we helped you do it, in Chesterfield, or Sheffield, or Low Edges, like Katie would? What if you had a, a vision, I'd say with no knowledge, what if you had a, a creative spark or a vision you thought I'd, no one would ever back me on that? I bet you have. You have, haven't you? Yeah. What if, what if that wasn't just a dream in your head? What if that's almighty God giving you a vision that can actually touch people's hearts and lives and you never thought you could do it because you don't believe in yourself enough? But actually, Almighty God called it out of you. And all you've got to do is say yes to him. And then come and see us, we get behind you and it'll happen. The unseen people in the church, 
Oh, I believe that's a word from the Lord and I want to talk to you about it. And there'll be others. There'll be loads of others here. It could be something you want to do in your workplace. To be fruitful for Jesus. It could be something you want to do at the school gate. And you're quiet. And no one's seen you. But actually you've had this thing burning in your heart to be fruitful. Uh, this church needs to be released into this creativity. And I'm saying this as someone who has seen movements spring up to become global but and not have a clue what's going on most of the time. My job is to coach and release. If you have a vision or a dream from the Lord, let me say this, it will stay a dream in your head. It will stay a dream in your head that dies unless you take the first step. And my job, and our job as leaders, is to help you make the first step. And some of it will be in the name of Redeemer King, and some of it won't be. It will all be in the name of Jesus. I mean, I think like, you know, sometimes I've been praying over the church, I thought about Rebecca's business, you know, with Chris. So, you know, the gifts you've been given and the creativity you've got. What an amazing, what an amazing tool for mission that could be one day. Whether that's sponsoring stuff overseas or helping poverty projects, like we exchange these messages about kids and stuff like that. Entrepreneurs could be so powerful for the kingdom. You know, Josh, I've often thought about with your architects business and the stuff you do on the side, you know. We talked before about projects to build houses overseas. I honestly felt when we spoke about that, it's the Lord. I, I think it's something we need to talk about or it will stay a dream in our heads. I look around this church and I said, and I'm speaking very personally to you all today because I feel the Lord's speaking to me even as I'm standing here about some of you. And I know it's freaky, but I pray a lot for all of you. And sometimes things drop in my head. And I felt the Lord say to me today that when I stand in front of you, he would speak to me about some of you and I'm feeling it. And as I'm speaking to you, you're nodding because you know it's true. This church is unprecedented in how many creative, skilled, gifted and talented people that we have. I've never seen anything like it. On the book says about 310 people in the church. We on average see 180 to 200 people. I've gone through that list. I, I look at who we see and who we not just to make sure everyone's being cared for as best I can. But I look at it and I look at faces around here and I see gifts and skills like you wouldn't believe. And we've even got a world-leading tree expert in the church. I'm serious. I mean, it's, un it's unreal. I said earlier, who else can... What other church have I been in where we, we look at a big building project and we've got planning inspectors and ex heads of planning and architects and building company owners in the church. It don't happen. I was trying to do a building project in another church. Once you'd be like, oh, we know a bloke called Bob who lives 10 miles away had something to do with buildings. We got him in the church. Like Laura's running a business on the side with a million kids and... I mean, what, what could happen if, we, if that was unleashed for the kingdom? It, it'd be unbelievable. Do you see what I'm trying to say to you? 
confidence. Confidence in God's call. Confidence in what he's doing here. I want to create with you kingdom chaos. Unleash the entrepreneurs, the artists, the builders. Why is it we don't pray for builders, plumbers and sparkies? When Bezalel in the Bible, look him up, was anointed to be a craftsman who built the ark. But it says the spirit of the sovereign Lord settled on him and gave him gifts. I look at someone like John Boston, second call out in one service, not doing bad. He can make anything out of wood. Anything. He even made a princess carriage for the panto two years ago. Do you know what I think that is, John? I think it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I think you learned some skills, but I think you're anointed for a purpose. Many people come into church and they want to serve Jesus and the best the church offers them is work on the connect table, helping a worship band, help us set up. In this next season, we're going to be slightly breaking out of that. Let me just say that we do urgently need volunteers in kids' church. For those of you visiting today, you'd notice there's no children. It's not because we've locked them away. There is a kids' church happening simultaneously, just to put your minds at rest. We need volunteers that help us do Sundays urgently. But this town, this town so needs you on mission. And Low Edges so needs you on mission if we're going to make this happen. I think there are other people here that may even choose to go and live in poor areas like Low Edges or parts of our town so that we can reach people and that would be your calling. I don't know about you, but last week, I think it was, I came to church and it, it felt like an ordinary Sunday to me. If you're here last week, you may agree or disagree with what I'm about to say and that's fine because it's subjective. But during the worship, there was a moment when I felt the Spirit of God sweep through us. There was a moment. It was all around the time we started praying for our kids and, and during the worship. Did anyone else feel that? Anyone? Yeah, a whole bunch of you. And, I mean, one person came up to me and said, I just wanted to laugh. Another person came up to me and said, I just wanted to cry. Someone else said to me, I felt this move of the Holy Spirit come over the church. I just wanted to fall on my knees and worship. Something is happening. We have seen quite a significant number of people come to Christ over the last period of time. We have a whole bunch of people who are waiting to be baptized now. And by the way, if you want to explore baptism with me, please come and see me and we'll talk you through it. But I believe there's going to be another move of the Holy Spirit in this church. And that is this. God is going to unlock your dreams to become realities. It's not rhetoric. I'm, I don't do this often. Those who journey with me from the start of this church, how often do I do this? Very rarely. Maybe in the background, but not like this on a Sunday. But I believe it's time. I believe this is the time that God is going to start unleashing people. And your dreams and your vision to serve him are going to become a reality. 
your first step might be to, to vocalise it. Particularly if I've called you out today. I want to be talking to you because I believe that the Lord has something for us and for you. It's time to become the most fruitful church in Derbyshire, if not the UK, and unlock all of these gifts and skills. So I'm going to let you into a dream that I've got in my head that I want to become a reality, and then I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray. I do have a vision for this church. And, I, I, and it's not just big thinking. It's what I believe God's called us to. I don't just see a big church building on Cavendish Street. And maybe we won't get that building. I'm trusting the Lord at the moment. I just don't know. I believe he's shown it to us. But we shall see. But what I do see is this. Community housing. There's housing people who don't have homes. Or people who have acute needs but they can't live on their own. I am desperate not just to own a house, but a bunch of houses where we can home homeless people. It still agitates me that at Christmas there are people without a bed to sleep in or that the temporary provision in Chesterfield. I don't think it's a coincidence we have a whole bunch of people in this church who are working in night shelters sacrificially and people have a passion for that. But I don't think it stops there. I think this church is calling to us entrepreneurs who know how to run businesses. Because I think we're going to need to have businesses that give people skills and employment so they become employable again. I think there are people here, like Chris, who know how to teach people skills in Chesterfield College. Those of you who don't know, Chris is quite amazing. He's a fine artist as well as a carpenter. And I think there'll be people with creative skills who need tuition or belief in themselves or even therapeutic art. And I think there'll be people that we could train up to have joinery skills and have a job, but they'll be coming out of addiction or out of prison. And they don't have a future, but maybe we'll be able to give them one. So that's where skills can be used. Maybe some of you will create so many jobs, Rebecca, be so successful, that maybe we'll be able to employ one or two people on apprenticeships that no one else would give a job to. But you would. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe we'd even have a school, which I'm talking to someone about, because there is a lack of provision for boys particularly with autism. Well, maybe we'll set up a school, because we've got people here who can do that. Maybe we'll have community health provision We've got medics here, psychotherapists here, psychologists here. Maybe, maybe part of the reason some of you are coming over from Sheffield as medics is we'll have community medical provision for those who would struggle to otherwise access it. So we start caring for the whole person. And we'll have the biggest flags of any church in Chesterfield. <laughs> and a massive auditorium to put those who are being rescued from hell into an atmosphere of worship. When I start to talk like that, you'll read this differently. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? 
I think there are many people who said, I will, and then couldn't find a way. That's what I'm saying. And there are some people who say, I will, and it's a token gesture. I get that. Sometimes the seed falls on rocky ground or it gets eaten up by the thorns. I get that. But I felt this is a specific word for us today. The other interesting thing about this passage very quickly is that it was the prostitutes and the tax collectors who responded. I find that very interesting. But do you know why? Because it says in Luke 7, those who have been forgiven much love much. And what we have to do, and it's just a point of discipleship this, those of us who come out of middle class or working class backgrounds, but in the West, don't always feel that we've been forgiven much because we're generally quite nice people. You are 99.9% .9 really nice people. The 0.1% is probably me, not. But we're all super nice people. I can't say any of you are not nice, can I? Because that'd be horrible. We're all nice people. But all forgiven by God's grace. And what we all need to remember is just how much we are forgiven. That without Jesus, we are sunk. But with Jesus, not only are we are lifted to heavenly places, but we can do extraordinary things. Extraordinary things. We're looking at Jackie. All the nursing, the community nursing and the caring side that's there. You know, the lack of funding and provision that's out there may, may be, just may be, there'll be stuff we're, doing we're able to do in the name of Jesus and see people thoroughly rescued and put into this process of employment and being healed up. Wouldn't that be amazing? Car mechanic teacher. There's a, there's, there's a way to rescue some young men and girls. I mean, you know, it doesn't have, to, doesn't have to be in the way you're currently doing it, does it? Could be in a few years' time we're doing some amazing things as a church.